0: And we're live. Welcome to another Couch GM podcast. Today, it's going to be a good one. Uh, we're going to be having on Midwinter, who's a attorney at Kenny Hertz Perry um, LLC, talking about, so he specializes in NIL attorney, um, sports law, business litigation. We're going to be talking about the downfall of the Pac-12, some of the legal battles that are currently going on. But before we get him on, uh, we're going to discuss a little bit. Yesterday, the University of Washington <clears throat> filed a motion um, essentially, a tweet from Nicole Eierbach, I- uh, who's a reporter for The Athletic, stated uh, that lawyers representing the University of Washington yesterday filed a motion to intervene in the legal proceedings between Washington State, Oregon State, and the Pac-12 conference. Um, essentially, and then the nine outgoing Pac-12 schools filed a brief to support UW and support its motion to dismiss they also wrote that they've entered into a mediation process with Washington State and Oregon State that is currently ongoing and scheduled through October. So essentially, University of Washington and the remaining schools that have left are trying to dismiss this case that Washington State and Oregon State are are putting on against them. Uh, so, Dylan, what are your comments that you that you've seen?
1: Um. You know, obviously, this was a move to try and avoid the discovery phase for as long as possible. um, Where, you know, essentially both parties agree that they're going to try and figure out some sort of mediation. But in all honesty, well, you you don't really expect uh, Oregon State and and Washington State to really get screwed over in, in any measure. Um, when it comes to that. So it's going to be interesting to talk to Mitt and, and hear his take about um, you know, how soon this could get to discovery if mediation kind of drags out.
0: And we have uh, Mitt Winter on now, so we'll go ahead and bring him in. Perfect. So he's a attorney at Kenny Hertz Perry LLC. So first off, Mitt, thank you for taking the time tonight.
2: No problem. Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: So first off, if uh, we could just have you basically overview from your uh, professional perspective with what's going on in the PAC 12, the litigation that has taken place so far and where you might see this, this headed.
2: Um, Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty unprecedented situation. Um, You know, with, with in conference realignment with two members being left in a conference, then suing that conference that they're still a member of. Um, you know, basically, to have control over what is left of of the conference. Um, I'm not. Su- I'm not surprised that Oregon State and Washington State took that approach. I, you know, I, if I was in their shoes, I would probably do the same thing. Um, but it's just a very unusual situation. Usually, in conference realignment, when lawsuits are filed or, or lawsuits are threatened, it is a situation where. A few schools leave a conference and then the conference might threaten to sue those schools or might threaten to sue the conference that the the departing schools are going to. Um, But I can't ever think of another situation where the remaining schools have sued the conference and their commissioner uh, of the conference that they remain in when all the other schools are leaving the conference. So it's a really unusual situation.
1: Mitt, do you feel like this is something that the other ten schools just did not expect or just plan for in their doomsday um you know look at, at 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 conference realignment
2: yeah i I mean I obviously don't know what what they were thinking when what would happen when they left, but i I assume they didn't think that Oregon State and Washington state would uh sue the conference and the commissioner um, to basically have control of the conference, alleging that the, the 10 members that left were in breach of the conference bylaws at the, at the time they announced they were, you know going to leave next year. Um, I think they probably also thought that Oregon state and Washington state would end up in another conference, most likely um, big 12 or, or whatever conference that that would have been. So I probably think that they assumed that that those two schools would would find a landing spot. Um, so that that probably played into some of their decision making as well. Um, but yeah, I, I highly doubt that they thought that they would find themselves in the the litigation that they're in now.
3: Mit, uh, can you kind of explain what you dub? Uh, with the lawsuit that they just filed or the uh, restraining order to me and to most football fans who, you know, we can be a little bit blockheaded at times. <laughs> and sometimes when you have big words like erroneous and stuff like that, getting thrown around, <laughs> it can get a little bit confusing. It really turns into that meme of like, cool story. I'm happy for you. Or sorry that happened. Can you kind <laughs> of explain it? Like, like I am an idiot uh, to me and to all the fans about what you dub did and how that's going to affect the litigation moving forward.
2: Yeah, so what, what UW filed is a motion to intervene. So right now, the only parties in the lawsuit are Oregon State, Washington State are the plaintiffs and the defendants are the Pac Twelve and the Commissioner. So Washington UW and the and the other nine schools that are leaving are not actual parties to the lawsuit. So what UW filed is called a motion to intervene. They want to intervene to become a party in the lawsuit. And basically, they're arguing that they should be allowed to intervene as a party in the lawsuit because no one involved in the lawsuit, um, especially the conference and the commissioner, are not adequately going to represent UW's interest. Because they're saying this this lawsuit affects us; it's going to have an effect on us. And there's no one that's currently a party in the lawsuit that's going to adequately represent our interests in this lawsuit. And so, in addition to that, they they filed their motion to intervene. And then assuming that gets granted, they also filed a proposed motion to dismiss the lawsuit um, for a number of reasons. So they're hoping that the court, number, number one, allows them to intervene in the lawsuit as a party. And then number two, grants their motion to dismiss the entire lawsuit.
1: And what they said, too, was the, the crux of the PAC-10 case is that the PAC-2 are using an erroneous interpretation of the PAC-12 bylaws per court docs. Um, so it's is it kind of like a he said she said type thing here over over the bylaws.
2: Yeah, so that's really kind of assuming it gets to the merits of the case. That's really what the heart of the case is about. Is what do the Pac-12 bylaws say? So Oregon State and Washington State are taking the position that the ten schools that announced they're leaving have breached the conference bylaws because they announced their leaving prior to August one, twenty twenty four. The other schools that have left are taking the position that they act they have to actually announce they're going to leave before August, 21, August 1, 2024 to be in breach of, of the bylaws. So they're saying, we would have had to say, we are leaving the conference now or tomorrow, sometime before August 1, 2024, to actually be in breach of the bylaws. So it's going to be, you know, they're asking the court to interpret those bylaws and Oregon state and Washington state are taking one position. The other schools are taking an opposite position. And, yeah, and talk about the,
1: Sorry, sorry, Connor. Talk about the precedent though. Also in this case where obviously, you know, prior USC and UCLA were the first two schools to leave. And then, you know, essentially the PAC um, decided to keep them out of, you know, board matters as well as as colorado can you explain just the precedent that's going on with those three schools that announced their early movement before the PAC blew up
2: yeah from what i understand when those three schools announced that they were leaving the pac 12 um, they were no longer involved in the decision making for the conference and i'm not sure whether that was something that was official the conference told them they, they can, can no longer be part of the meetings or if they just sort of out of common sense decided, hey, we're just going to sit these meetings out and let you guys decide the fate of the conference, how the conference is going to operate going forward because we're no longer going to be part of the conference. But, but under that same precedence, kind of what you're getting at, if, if the 10 schools that are leaving, if they follow the same precedence that was set there, they would sit out uh, the board meetings and let Oregon state and Washington state, you know, determine the fate of the conference going forward.
0: And can you explain the process, um, both with mediation and then discovery, because it sounds like UW is wanting to enter into a mediation process with Washington state and Oregon state, um, in an attempt to avoid discovery. Is that correct?
2: Yeah. there's actually a uh, mediation that's already going on amongst all the schools, um, so in mediation, there's, there's a mediator, and in this case, it's a retired judge, which is pretty common. And so the mediator's job is to try and reach some sort of resolution or, or settlement um, for the parties to agree on. And as part of that, the lawsuit gets dismissed. Each side goes their own way. Um, but they, they sign a settlement agreement it says, you know, Oregon State, Washington State, you get this, or the other schools, you get this. Um, so they're already involved in that process. And so that process can go on concurrently with litigation and it usually does. Um, so just because there's mediation doesn't mean there's not going to be discovery. Um, you can have both things going on at the same time.
1: Yeah, and, and there was a deadline, obviously, October thirteenth was a discovery deadline. So I guess how does that this mediation does that push that back in terms of uh, you know because obviously these universities, do not want discovery to happen um and have that dirty laundry spill out um into the public sphere
2: now the mediation is not going to have any effect on on the discovery process that's going to be so right now i think on november 14th there's a hearing on the preliminary injunction and a lot of times courts won't allow will stay discovery until they rule on that preliminary injunction motion i'm not I haven't looked at the, the docket on this case to see if the court put in uh, a stay of discovery until it rules on that motion. I assume it probably has. So the, the hearing on that motion is uh, November 14th. There's also a hearing on October 25th, assuming that UW its motion intervening gets granted. It wants to have a motion on its uh, a hearing on its motion to dismiss on October 25th. So I think once those two motions get settled, um, whether the court grants or denies them, then at that point, that's probably when discovery would happen. Um, and when a hearing on those types of things takes place, it can usually, you can take a few weeks or even a month for a court to, to rule on those types of motions and, and draft its uh, order on that. So I would guess that discovery could maybe happen, you know, early December sometime around there.
3: So, It sounds like then that this has a possibility of extending out, you know, six months even further, depending on how far these universities want to take it. Is there a chance that this isn't solved within, you know, the next year or so when a lot of these teams are leaving to join their new conference? And if that's the case, how does that affect all of this? Can, you know, that money go back to Oregon State and Washington State if they win this, but they win it two years from now? How how does that work?
2: yeah it's possible it could drag on that long. I assume that you know both sides would want to have this whole thing resolved before that point, but assuming that the you know litigation drags on past past the date of august 1, 2024, and the other schools have left um yeah, I mean theoretically, I think that the assets of the conference would still you know be with the conference, and if we assume that Oregon State and Washington State end up winning and then at that point gain control over the conference and its assets, then they could do with those assets what what they want to do.
1: I think you're pretty unbiased as anybody. Uh, I think you played your college college ball at uh, William and and Mary, so back out east. Um, um, Who do you think, from your point of view, holds the most leverage in this case moving forward? If you can kind of give us maybe some sort of crystal ball outlook.
2: Mm, that's a good one. Um, I th- I actually think that the, the argument on what the bylaws say, I think, let's find out what you guys want to hear, but I think the departing members actually have the better argument there. Because um, it doesn't necessarily make sense that if you announce that, let's say you announce you're going to leave the conference in two years, you don't actually leave until that date you're allowed to leave to me that's not a, sc- a scenario where you're breaching the bylaws i, ag- I agree with the argument that you're out al- you're only breaching the bylaws if you actually leave the conference before whatever whatever date it is
1: so even these tweets on updating up. Uh- upcoming schedules with the Big 12, each school had their, you know, Cal and Stanford, welcome to the ACC, all these public tweets and and so on and so forth via social media, um, and even letters to alumni associations within those schools you don't think merit that?
2: It's possible. I'd have to see all that stuff. I haven't seen all that stuff that that you just referred to. There probably could be some things out there that Oregon State and Washington State could point to and say, yeah, this is um, you know something that rises to the level of breaching the bylaws. Um, so I'm not saying that that Oregon State and Washington State don't have any arguments in their favor. Um, you know, in litigation like this, you never know what's going to happen, and, and a lot of other evidence and discovery, if it gets to that point, c- could come out that we you know aren't aren't aware that it exists right now.
3: Then, is this, um, sorry, is this just uh, like a winner take all thing, or like what would happen if, say, the court found five of the schools had breached the contract but four hadn't, or you know, whatever the numbers on that is? Uh, is this a situation kind of where like you have to have all of them breach the contract, or could you, you know, could Oregon State and Washington State? win this lawsuit against half of the schools and then the other half it's like well technically they didn't meet that threshold so then they don't have to pay out or they get their money back or some of their assets back from the Pac-12. How does that
2: work? Yeah I think something like that could be possible and so then if we imagine a scenario where five schools didn't breach and five schools did and so that would leave seven schools in the Pac-12 then I, I guess those seven schools would be the ones that control the assets and have the board meetings and decide what happens going forward with the conference. I think the most likely scenario is, though, there's a settlement. Uh, the assets get divided up in some manner, probably with Oregon State and Washington State getting a large portion of those assets. The leaving the schools that are leaving get you know some smaller amount of those assets. And then I think there's also a question of what happens to the NCA basketball tournament units because those extend out for a few years, and uh, what, right? And then what you know what happens uh, to, if a team makes the CFP this year? Uh, so you, you still have some you know undetermined financial numbers. So even if there is a settlement, there's probably going to be a, that settlement agreement will have to be in effect for a while to kind of to figure out what's going to happen with some of the, the finances that that haven't really happened yet. Right,
1: and, and then can and you then, discuss
0: briefly about uh, sovereign immunity and how that would affect these things?
2: Yeah, so s- sovereign immunity—it basically it's a legal doctrine that makes it difficult to sue uh, states, which includes state officials and state institutions like public universities. And sovereign immunity law; it's different from state to state. Um, some states. You can you can sue state entities for breach of contract. Um, some have different ways you have to sue them for breach of contract. In some states, you can't sue a state entity at all for breach of contract, like Texas. You can't sue the state universities at all. Like if you're familiar with the Mike Leach Texas Tech case, yeah. um, they were able to get his lawsuit just completely dismissed because he was not able to actually sue Texas Tech as a state entity under Texas law. I don't think any of the states in, involved in this case have that strict of sovereign immunity law like Texas does. Um, but there will probably be different uh, arguments made by the departing, departing schools about about why they can't be sued or if, if they can be sued, different steps that need to be taken uh, before litigation can actually occur.
1: And, I, you know, I had an interesting question just on where law firms rank, you know, and, and obviously the the law firm that Oregon State and Washington State have are Keker Van Ness, and Peters. I don't know if you're able to kind of elaborate on where they're at in the law stratosphere, if you've even heard of them, and kind of just give us an idea of like, hey, are they like the Notre Dame law firm or are they like the Buffalo?
2: Yeah, they're they're a very legit law firm. So I used to live in San Francisco for 10 years where I went to law school and I practiced law out there for about eight years. And that's where they're located. Very good reputation. They're like numbers wise, they're not a big firm in terms of the number of attorneys they have. They're a boutique firm, but they're very well known, very good attorneys. Um, so they're a very legit law firm. So you should feel good about having them on, on your side.
0: Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time with uh, explaining everything, giving us some insight on behind the scenes from your perspective with you being in the field. So, again, really appreciate your time. Looking forward to staying up to date on uh, the hearings as we see them moving forward.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate okay, it. Hey,
1: appreciate it, man. Thanks, Matt.
2: Yeah. Nice to meet you all.
0: All right. We'll see you. Good night. Awesome. So we got some insight from Mitt. Uh, Really interesting to hear his perspective on some of those topics. Uh, Specifically that from his perspective he thinks that the departing schools might have the upper hand or have a strong case with what they're arguing because technically they didn't leave the conference as he stated, which might not be breaching the the PAC-12 bylaws, which is interesting.
1: Well, we need to find another lawyer to bring on.
3: So... (laughs) (laughs) it's it's shocking to me and i'm I'm sure it will be for you too dylan and connor that the tweets and the schedule making technically don't necessarily constitute leaving the conference it's it's basically like being with your girlfriend and going don't worry babe i'm still with you i just have tinder for when i'm not with you here in about a year
0: yeah i'm just
3: bad analogy
0: I'm leaving you next year on this certain date. Um, right. I'll be with this conference, you know, moving forward, but not yet.
3: Is, but is this also, what Leo does. He's like, "Hey, your birth, your 25th birthday is May 25th. You got one more year with me, and I'm on Tinder or Raya or whatever, and then I'm out of
1: here." <laughs> but I think also an important thing to note too is it it matters what the judge thinks too. At the Definitely. end of the day, um, and you know, obviously. Um, it doesn't hurt to have a Whitman County judge on it and be a former Koog um, who's a judge. So, um, the name is forsaking me. I'll look that up as, as we're talking here right now. But... And also
0: in that Koog fan article, it was Bill Kirk, uh, who they cited a prominent Seattle attorney is what they said, former King County deputy prosecutor and WC graduate. He said they called the motion that you submitted yesterday appalling. And said for the University of Washington to suggest that neither WSU or OSU are likely to prevail on this argument, and then to uh, a worse y- and worse yet to argue that neither of those institutions can show irreparable harm by what has occurred in this conference tells you everything you need to know about the integrity of the University of Washington moving forward. So like, yeah, you know, you it's did- ridiculous. Yeah,
1: and, and, and Oregon State already came out publicly, um, their president stating that, that you know they expect to not have forty four percent of the budget um, or revenue, I should say, that they had uh, this past year. So if if losing nearly half of your revenue isn't irreparable harm, I, I don't know what is.
0: And so the other day, I heard the uh, the Baylor athletic director saying that. Currently, the Big 12 is not in talks with WCU and OSU. You know, it could just be he doesn't know anything about it, or it could just be that some of the rumors that we have heard in the past are just not true and that the Big 12 is not engaging with these schools. So I'm 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 pretty intrigued to see what it would look like if Washington State and Oregon State really do become the Pac-2 for the next couple of years and they become basically independents, create their own schedules. They have the reins on their destiny to get into the playoffs as well as the, the control over the assets.
3: Oh, I thought yeah. it was interesting mm-hmm. that this could go on for multiple years too, right? It doesn't seem like that's what the schools are going to want to do, but if they really want to dig their heels in, this thing could go on for a year or two. And then how do you backtrack everything? How do you back pay? How do you like, if Wazoo and Oregon State treat it like they're going to win and they use that money and then they don't get it and they have to pay back, you know, the other schools, how does that work? It it, it boggles my mind how something, you know, not a lawyer, uh, never went to law school, never been even in the same building as law <laughs> being practiced. Um, how it you can look at something like this, to me, that seems so black and white of they're leaving. They weren't supposed to leave. They don't get to make decisions on the conference now that they have decided to leave, yet there's a way for them to still say, well, technically we didn't leave, so we get to have a say in this money, and even though we've already ousted people before, because we're leaving and the leaving crew is the majority, we get to have final say on where this money is. That boggles my mind.
0: Because from my understanding in the bylaws, it's that you announce that you're leaving. It's not that you leave. I need to see if the the bylaws are actual public information and go and actually read every single page of that. Right. But from what I've seen from people's interpretation so far, it's that announcing to leave before that date on twenty twenty four is, is what, what's the breaking point.
3: But a tweet isn't isn't announcing. That's no. I, yeah, like, I, my tweeting perspective is isn't like, announcing. Yeah, all the conferences. Is, right. How, uh, how is that not announcing that you're leaving to me asking donors for more money because you're leaving. It's stuff Dylan, like that to me. That's how is that not leaving?
0: Dylan, you referenced, it's, you it's referenced alumni the, yeah. being sent messages.
1: Yeah, there is, um, a few of the PAC 12 schools that just sent out like, and it's your typical, just like alumni mass email, you know, that everybody's getting, um, in terms of, Hey, we joined the big 12. Hey, we joined the big 10. Hey, we joined the ACC. Um, and I think the whole goal, you know, I, in my mind, I think the whole idea of, of WSU and Oregon state are doing this is just to make things extremely tough on all the outbound members um, as well as, you know, all the conferences report to the to the CFP, the college football playoff. And under those bylaws, there's got to be any, any, for any uh, thing to change, any decision, there has to be unanimous consent. And with Kirk Schultz on that board, there's not going to be unanimous consent for 2024 and 2025. So that affects the ACC, the Big 12, the Big 10, the SEC, um, as well as the G5, because the whole um, talking point right now is next year is it going to be six and six or is it going to be five and seven? five automatic qualifiers and then seven at at-large's, or six and six. Um, so that's something that has been widely reported through Nicole Auerbach and, and a few others, um, you know, within the athletic and obviously other prominent college football scribes um, stating that just, there has just been no uh, movement in terms of trying to figure out, um, you know, how they're going to go about six and six or five and seven with uh, the, the CFP playoff. Um, beginning to to start next year with 12 schools. So, you know, the whole hope, I, I guess, sorry, look, looping back is, okay, hey, we're going to be a, you know, pebble in your boot, a thorn in your foot until we can get one of these conferences to accept us. And, and whether that's at a half share rate, three fourths of a share rate or big 12, you know, it's the only only conference right now that doesn't have their own network where, you know, you look at it at, at the basketball side of things. The Pac-12 network brings a lot of value for that conference and being able to have these games on a network. Um, so who knows? Um, a, a, a lot's to be said. And we have no idea if the ACC blows up in the next month to six months with Florida State, North Carolina, Um uh, and, and some of the other, you know, Miami and prestigious uh brands there that are looking to maybe bounce um as well. because uh, there's been a lot of smoke. <laughs> there's smoke yeah. every week
3: on this conference that, for assignment
1: That's contacting
0: potentially to the Big Twelve.
3: Yeah, that, that seems like it's almost a done deal. And and that's a great point. Uh this is far from over. So if Washington State and Oregon State, it almost kind of seems like if you can hang on, stay independent for a year or two. Maybe something opens up later on. You know, it's, uh, I hate to be analogy guy. I listened to Colin Cowherd too much when I was a younger uh, kid, but it's, it's like Joe Cronin with Damian Lillard. He waited until a better offer came and eventually someone got a little more desperate and a better offer came. And so he was able to get better assets back for his star player. It kind of seems like the same thing for Wazoo and Oregon state hold on. You never know what's going to happen. If you hold on for a year or two before you have to officially join a conference, what if the ACC does go belly up, right? It's already been made very clear that Clemson, Florida State, uh, you know, those top teams in the ACC, they want to get out. And the SEC wants those teams. If the SEC gets Florida State and you can have Florida State, Miami and Florida play every year as part of your conference, that's a huge deal, you know? Thinking about Alabama playing Clemson every year, that's a huge new tradition that you've created. And you've basically now just taken over the the whole South. Well, if that happens, well, now you really can turn into that all-coast conference because guess what? North Carolina State isn't getting picked up. You know, Georgia Tech isn't getting picked up. So you can Boston pick up College, Syracuse. I mean, those, those schools aren't going to get picked up, you know? Exactly, exactly. So then you can pick up Oregon State, Washington State. And then is that enough to save yourself and put yourself in, you know, the, the new power four, right? Yeah, and, and you never I, know what the, those mm-hmm. those
1: couple remaining AAC brands, I think right. Memphis, Tulane, uh, mm-hmm. you know, or, or even Tulsa – but I think Memphis and Tulane are also, uh, you know, in this kind of same situation uh, that Oregon State and Washington State are in, because they know they're they're two of the better brands in the in the G five. So, you know, you never know if Cal and Stanford decide to, you know, piggyback with OSU and and WSU, saying, look, we need travel partners, and you know, maybe that's where the UNLVs, the SDSUs. Um, um, and the, maybe even Fresno States, um, you know, kind of get looked at as well. This, it, it's just a, a climate that is changing day to day.
3: And, and that's the other thing that you just kind of hit on this kind of makes sense for football, but for every other sport, you already lose money competing in them. Aside from a special few basketball, a special few baseball and a special fewer volleyball, right? So if you already lose money in these sports, now you're asking them to do these big, long travel weekends, where if you're playing baseball, you're gone from Thursday. Yeah. If you're playing volleyball, if you're playing basketball, and you're on the road, you're gone on Thursday. Now you're telling me you got to go across the country and then come back? how how are you able to recoup that money right in in sports and in the universities where you're already trying to figure out a way to recoup revenue that you lost because of the pandemic that we just came out of and get your student bodies back up to a higher rate because most of these universities they lost student enrollment student enrollment went down so how do you build yourself back up and how do you build up that money i don't think that you can just consistently keep going to donor after donor after donor and be like hey we need more money for the charter plane for the volleyball team, or we need more money for the softball team or baseball team, track and field, wrestling, men's golf. How do you keep doing this? So it also wouldn't shock me if in five or six years, it's like, hey, we have to we have to autocorrect, We have to revert back to what it was just from a monetary value. So I also think there's something to be said, and if you can wait long enough, maybe the avalanche reverses itself. And everyone starts coming back going, hey, we need to find at least some sort of regionality to this sport so that we can afford to pay for all these other sports.
1: Well, and if you also remember, too, a couple of years ago with the Premier League and the Bundesliga and La Liga, which is, the you know, La Liga is in Spain. The Bundesliga is, is the German. Um, and then obviously the Premier League is... Um, you know, the English clubs, they all have this idea. The TV networks wanted to do this, but tradition reigned supreme back there. But those people also care about their soccer like it's life or death as well. Um, so there was a, a, a major push to avoid this, you know, giant mega conference um, that, you know, the Sky Sports and, and all those, uh, you know, TV um, Networks, you know, in Europe, we're we're looking for. So, you know, maybe you know, like we just said, uh, you know, the 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 blizzard gets too much, and you know, it's 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 time to revert back.
0: They might be doing the same amount of travel going from England to Germany as all these schools from the West Coast are going to have to do going from West Coast to East right. Coast now.
3: <laughs> right. It's it's a big it's a big deal. It's not super fun when Boston College has to come to Pullman and they have to play the seven thirty game.
0: <laughs> yeah right yeah <laughs> 10 30 time and
1: and even just bringing up the timing slots too it's like you know why wouldn't the acc you know obviously they have Sten- uh cal and stanford is that late coast um timing but you know it's it's surprising that many of these conferences you know aren't, aren't looking to add um you know every time slides it's just a, it's just a shame that there's no more pac-12 after dark after this year it's it's a tough one to to think
3: about I think USC fans after last week would disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Fraudulent, Jed Fish, man, go for it, dude!
1: Come on, what are we doing here?
0: Um, let's see here. I had something. So, uh, uh, one more thought is if if Washington State and Oregon State were to settle on this, then that means that the Pac-12 is gone. So, not
1: necessarily. I mean, well, you know, they're settling they're
0: pretty... on all the Pac-12 assets.
1: Yeah, so but technically, they're they're going to want to keep the Pac-12's name, image, stuff, stuff of that nature. So I think it's more so in this settle process. It's like Arizona, you know, Arizona and the Oregon's, and whoever else is like these are our NCAA tournament shares. We we put our teams into the NCA tournament over the years. We want this. We want that. You guys want to keep the sake of the conference? That's what mediation's here for. We, we have no idea what it could be. Um, but, you know, as Mitt said, you know, you kind of expect to have some sort of um, compromise sooner or later, or, you know, we'll pose the question to him as well. How long could this go?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and then one, one of the uh, Mitt's other tweets just in, it's regarding NIL money. He's an NIL lawyer, um, but he states that Oklahoma state football coach, Mike Gundy says that school should focus on raising NIL money instead of money for facilities. So it's just, everything is changing across the landscape because this article that he quotes, like some players know that they're not going to go to the NFL. So they'd rather go to some school that's going to pay them a certain amount of money, whatever it is, and they don't care if there's new shiny equipment or new jerseys, but if they're getting a paycheck, then they're going to go do that. So,
3: yeah, I mean, I, I bet you this year, Penix and Bo Nix, I, I would almost guarantee, made more money in NIL than they would have in their rookie contracts because let's face it, they weren't going to be first round picks. Uh, you know, Penix might have been a day two guy, but Bo's probably a day three guy. Uh, and, you know, and, and everyone jokes like Brock Purdy's poor, Brock Purdy's not poor. But you know, 800K is what he's making right now on his rookie deal. Do you think that Michael Penix is making more than 800K? Because I think he is, and I would think that Bonix is too. You know, shoot, I bet you that there are some freshman quarterbacks, uh, Dante Moore, who are making more than 800K because of their NIL deal. Uh, you know, the rumor is the the Tennessee kid, uh, Laliva, he's making eight million. You know, over the course wow. of his three or four years over at Tennessee. So uh when when I look at this kind of stuff, it why not? Why wouldn't it go into more NIL money? Um, because before it made sense to have the coolest uh facilities, have the coolest weight room, have the nicest weight room, have a restaurant where only your guys eat, you know, have have a cafeteria where it's just your guys, have the best dorms and stuff like that. Well, now to me, if you're telling me you can pay me and you can get me an F 150 and I can make two million dollars you know, a year because I'm going out and absolutely dominating for your university. I could give a damn if I'm working out outside, you know, if I'm lifting tires or I've got one travel suit and that is what it is. If I can get more money and I can get that money back to my family, back to my parents, build a future for myself, why wouldn't that matter to me more?
0: You could just take that 2 million and, you know, maybe buy Chipotle with that every day and call it good. I'd be just as happy.
3: Or get the free Chipotle.
0: Shadur Sanders. Yeah, there you the go.
1: Perfect, perfect example of NIL. That guy's not going to go into the draft this year, even though he can. He's going to make five to ten million dollars at Colorado next season, and be, you know, on the on, on the tip of everybody's mouth in college in the college football circle. Nobody can, you know, stop talking about Colorado. And and why not? I mean, Dion's obviously done a a, a ton in terms of just his own marketing mm-hmm. um, coming in there.
0: Caleb Williams um, would be going too far then, though. With that, right? There's no way that he stays.
3: I would be shocked. He's thrown it out there, uh, but the way the NFL works, you're on a pay scale, and when you're the number one overall pick, that signing bonus is fat. So I, I um, heard like nine million I,
0: or something like that. I don't know.
3: Oh, I think it's more
0: than that. More it's, is it?
3: It's it's much more than that. Who's the number uh, one? He's in. Look, I think. I think Devon Witherspoon for the Seahawks was he was sixth and his his entire contract was guaranteed fully guaranteed. Is it Bryce Young? Look up Bryce Young signing bonus. I bet it's more,
1: wow. bet it's more than
3: you think. That
0: is really yeah. surprising. Wow. Bryce Young twenty four point six million. Yep. Yeah. Guaranteed.
3: Yeah. All his. because
1: that's,
0: that's what you care about. Devin witherspoon uh Witherspoon, cornerback, number five overall, twenty million.
3: And I think his full contract itself is guaranteed <laughs> as well, at least the first four years, because he has the team option on the fifth. But so that means he's probably got $30 million or so total that's fully guaranteed. It, it, when you're going to be a first-round pick, it makes sense to go out. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Uh, Shador, Wish your you got the extra year. You might as well stay because yeah, you know I mean, May, they were Mays go in to and Williams. Yeah. You have a shot to be number one in that class. Yeah. Might as well stay. There's a lot
1: of good QBs that, you know, in May, Williams. I'm, I'm obviously mm-hmm. missing a couple. Um, um, but yeah. Penix, so Cam Ward's definitely you know, going to stick
0: around then. Uh, it would
1: make sense to me. Yeah. But does he stick around at WSU? That's the real question, though. So
0: yeah, yeah I guess that'll, these next few months will play a part in that.
1: That's why I'm going to plug it right here. Coog 1890 Club, $18.90 a month. You can make a change as an alum. All right, the NIL. Coug 1890 Club.
0: 1890
3: Club? Yeah, Central got me when they gave uh, the donate Central, and it was a picture of me in my football uniform. I I had to donate (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can't not donate if you want will Ortner to donate you just picture me in there i'll donate i don't even care what it's to you dub wsu oregon state picture me i got it
0: all right real quick let's talk about a couple matchups this weekend and then we'll get you out of here um mm. oregon versus u-dub
3: foul versus fur it's gonna be a great game i think these are the two top teams right now in the pac 12 just from a completeness standpoint Uh, When you watch both these teams play, their defenses have vastly improved from the year before, and then offensively uh, they fly around and make plays. Special teams-wise, Odunze has a couple uh, punts that he's ran back, a couple different kicks. And then Oregon, they do it a little bit differently because they've got all sorts of trickeration. Um, Yeah, both teams are on a bye week. You're getting college game day, so you know the atmosphere is going to be crazy. It wouldn't shock me if this game actually started out a little bit slow, just because you have two teams feeling each other out. But I think you're gonna see a lot of trickeration, Oregon, especially in the special teams. Dan Lanning likes to throw a lot of trickeration coming out with, you know, against Colorado, he had the fake punt. Last year against UCLA, he had the early onside kick. I don't necessarily think that you're gonna see that uh, from Coach Stein's offense, uh, but I do think that you are going to see a lot of trickeration from the special teams. And then UW, I think offensively, DeBoer is going to dial up uh, some trickeration plays, just trying to find the way uh, to get the ball into Odunze, Polk, and McMillan's hands as much as he possibly can, especially in space. Those guys, I don't care how improved Oregon secondary has been, which it has, trying to stop those guys in space, uh, that's just a mother bear to deal with. It's going to be a great game. It's going to be an old-fashioned shootout. It just might start out a little slow. and. Honestly, I I can't wait to watch.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to the OCDC um, matchup of Tosh versus Grubbs. um, Mm -hmm. And and just kind of seeing, you know, like Will said, I think there's going to be a lot of feeling each other out early on. Um, And, you know, obviously, Oregon uh, losing the running back. uh, Help me out with the name. Noah Whittington. Whittington. Obviously, they've got a ton of running backs at their disposal there. Um, so I don't necessarily expect them to, to not skip a beat running the football. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, two and a half point spread it's Vegas is, is calling it a close game. And typically what, you know, Vegas gives the home team is it's an automatic three points. So they, they, they look at this as a pretty evenly matched game. Um, you know, if you take away that, that three, um, so yeah, obviously, um, you know, the winner of this game is controlling their own destiny uh, to the Pac-12 championship.
3: Yeah, I, I really do think um, this game is going to boil down to can UW make Oregon one-dimensional? If Oregon has issues running the football, then I think UW has a chance to win this football game, uh, especially if they can turn Oregon over a couple times. Uh, but Oregon's ability to run the football – at about a 40% percentage rate next to their 60% pass is gonna be huge because then U-Dub's defense has to prepare and be able to stop both the run and the pass. And they like to do a lot of play action passing with Bo Nix, get him out in space to where he can choose to throw the ball or run the ball. If they take away that ability, if U-Dub can stop Bucky Irving and Jordan James and they can beat up on that O-line that they run about eight deep over at Oregon, and you have to see Oregon sling the rock the entire time, that's where I think Oregon would have a little bit of issues, not because of Bo Nix, but because where UW, they are deep at that wide receiver position. You have two guys who are probably going to be first-round picks in Odunze and McMillan, and then you've got Polk, who's absolutely blown up this year in the slot. He's a stud. At Oregon, you have Troy Franklin, who is your number one true stud, guy is a beast, you look at the other wide receivers Trayshawn sean holden gary bryant jr tez johnson and even your tight end uh in ferguson a lot of these guys have had flashes of brilliance but none of them have had true sustained hey that's the number two guy tez johnson has a big game then the next week gary bryant has a big game then terrence ferguson has a big game you know Trayshawn holden had a big game against hawaii so if you are able to force oregon to throw the football and you can bracket cover troy franklin All of a sudden, I think it gets a little dicey on can you truly trust one of those next guys to step up? Oregon's going to say that they think they can and they have those guys, but I don't think it's been truly proven yet against the kind of talent that UW has. So if UW can stop the run, that's where things are going to get really dicey for Oregon.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a great matchup. Another one, USC and Notre Dame. Are we going to see USC show their maybe true colors. They've had shaky past couple weeks against Arizona and then against Colorado the week before that week before that Arizona state, it was close against USC. Are we going to see Notre Dame show USC who they really are?
1: Yeah, it's going to be a good one. I mean, um, Oregon or sorry, Oregon. <laughs>
0: um, you <laughs> Got know, Notre, you on the brain.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, Notre Dame is coming off a, a tough loss on the road um, against Louisville. Um, a bit of a surprising one. And, and for them, like, they don't really have a, a, a path anymore to the college football playoff. I mean, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. if they, you know, you know, beat up on USC and they just need a
2: ton of,
1: uh, you know, luck moving forward from everybody else. Um, it's like kind of a prove-it game for them, like, in, in terms of just, um, you know, bragging rights of, a, of a, a such a decorated rivalry. I think you could probably put it top three or top five, obviously in college football, um, of all-time rivalries. But USC is going to face their stiffest, best defense they've seen yet under Marcus Freeman um, and company. So I think the the key for Notre Dame is going to be, hey, can they establish the run game, which shouldn't be too hard against USC, control the clock, um, and then have that defense maybe able to muster a, a turnover to on, on Caleb Williams and company. But, you know, Caleb Williams is just so far uh, ahead of any other quarterback in college football right now that he makes up for so many deficiencies mm-hmm. that USC has that he's just always going to have them in the game. But, you know, obviously being on the road, um, you saw how close that Ohio State-Notre Dame game was earlier this year. Um, it took Ohio State to the final second um, to win that game. So, you know, this is a definite trap game could be the first loss that USC gets. And then, you know, when you kind of take a look at the the schedule that USC is going to have going forward after this Notre Dame game, is, you know, they start, they go at Notre Dame home versus Utah at Cal home versus Washington at Oregon and home versus UCLA. I mean, that is, you know, looking like a tough, uh, tough road to sledding up ahead, but I've got USC um,
3: by a score. This is the classic Will Ortner gets screwed game. Because (laughs) I've been sitting here beating the drum for Sam Hartman all year. Hey, he's a sneaky Heisman candidate. He's dominating at the beginning of the year. If he has a good game against Ohio State, you better watch out. You better watch out. And then he lays an absolute egg against Ohio State. All of a sudden, he lays an egg against Duke. He looked like crap against Louisville. I'm out on Sam Hartman. This is where he screws me, and he goes off for 400 yards, and he just throws a 1,000 touchdowns to Tobias Mayweather, and all of a sudden, well, we were holding on to some stuff, but we didn't want to use it just in case he got hurt. It's like Justin Herbert back in the Mario Cristobal days with the Ducks. As soon as the Ducks were eliminated, as soon as they got that second loss, Then all of a sudden, hey, let's let Herbert run. And all of a sudden, it's a game changer. And, oh, he looks like a Heisman candidate. He looks like a really good player. Too bad it's too late. This is classic where I get screwed, and I know it. Because I'm going to come in here right now, and I'm going to tell you, because I have a dumb football brain, but I'm going to say USC overlooked Arizona. They didn't think much of them. They sleptwalked through that first half. They looked like garbage. Then Caleb Williams decided to put the crown on his head and went out and absolutely brought them back to a life, Changing season-changing win in overtime, which is still stupid that they do two-point conversions after the third one. Don't get me started on that. But he finds a way to bring them back and win. And I'm going to say, you know what? I think USC is going to put up enough points. It doesn't matter that their defense gives up a bunch of points because I don't think this Notre Dame's offense is very good anymore. I think they might score like 28. Do you think 28 is enough to beat this USC team? Probably not. And then I'm going to come in here on Tuesday and I'm going to have tears and I'm crying because I lost because USC didn't put up a single point and they got blown out by 28. <laughs> but I think USC going to win.
0: How do you really feel? <laughs> I'm going to get screwed.
3: <laughs> and I know it and I see it coming and it is what it is.
0: That's no, going to be a great game. Yeah, Caleb Williams has 22 touchdowns to one interception right now. Um,
1: yeah, I don't see how he I- – doesn't become the second ever college football player to be a two-time Heisman winner.
3: He's so, so much further advanced than everybody else. And the throws that he can make with the body angles that he can make, it's ridiculous. This USC team is probably an eight and four team, but because you have Caleb Williams, he's not just giving you one victory, he's probably giving you two or three. And to have a player like that Like a great player gives you one extra victory that you don't deserve. He might give you two or three, and that might be just enough to get them into a Pac-12 championship game. And shoot, I'm not going to root against them. If you're telling me you got to pick a defense to stop these guys, I'm not going to claim that it's going to be anyone because he didn't show up for two quarters, showed up for the third and the fourth, and that was enough to win. And that Arizona team is going to knock someone off that they shouldn't.
0: Let me ask you this. Is UCLA's defense for real?
1: Oh, yeah. it looked look for real. Without a doubt. They are long, yeah. athletic, and they can do it all. How they have their defensive
0: linemen standing up pre-play the entire game. They, like Washington State had no clue what was coming. They threw all different types of defensive schemes at them. They just couldn't get anything going. They're going up against Oregon State this weekend.
3: The Amoeba. How weird is that? That uh, we're talking about a Chip Kelly-led team and we go, hey, they're pretty scary because of their defense. Like you never thought you would say that. And the thing about it is if he can keep recruiting defensive players uh at this rate, I I believe in Dante Moore. I think that kid is legit. There is a reason he was one of the top if not the top uh football quarterback recruit on most rankings and most boards. He he's a big deal and he is the real deal. Uh Dante Moore is going to be the depth According to the depth chart, Garbers
1: is a uh, top QB on that depth chart this week. We'll see, you know, what happens on Saturday. Um, but, you know, obviously he's had a little bit of a, a rough go of it the last couple of weeks.
0: They have six QBs on their roster right now.
3: That is so Chip Kelly. You got to gotta have a bunch, right? Well,
1: They're running
0: and, the-
3: I mean, shoot, Oregon State doesn't have really any.
0: Their running back looked really good. Also, Carson Steele, I think is who it was. He was just running through guys.
3: The transfer, yeah. Kid was a stud. I think he was at Ball State before, if I remember right. He was at one of the small MAC uh, CUSA schools. He's, he's a stud. Uh, Oregon State, I like that they're starting to throw Aiden Childs in as a change of pace. Uh, it's still DJ's team, and it's very clear that they are going to use DJ until the wheels fall off. They're basically using this as uh, like a, a training year for Aiden Childs, but I, I think that's really smart. He's come in and impressed me. Uh, he's the only one that's impressed me as a freshman QB more than Dante Moore, who's gotten serious time uh, because you know we've seen a couple different freshman quarterback uh, or young quarterbacks get into games this year because of injuries. Aiden, Aiden Childs is the real deal. But uh, I think it would be foolhardy for some Oregon State fans to start asking for him to get more time. Uh, give him the two or three—you know—every third series he gets, he gets a series of his own to spell DJU to give teams something else that they have to think about. But I'll tell you what, the future's bright for Oregon State with that kid.
0: Awesome. Well, appreciate you guys' time. I think that'll do it for this week's. We'll see you next Tuesday evening. And we'll see if there's any other legal updates that we can give on on the Pac-12.
1: Um, I, I guess we're not going to talk about Wazoo.
0: Yeah, we could talk about Wazoo. Um, I was I, I was gonna say. I mean, it's Arizona for real too, because they put it up against USC. They put it up against UW. it's was a really close game. I
1: completely agree with what Will said. They are going to beat someone yep. that's not supposed to be, and I'm I'm really. I'm very, very nervous this week Homecoming and, in Pullman. And, yeah. And, and, you know, I said this, I said this last week, um, or, or sorry, two weeks ago when we had our, our, you know, WSU's biggest swing game of the year was UCLA. Y- your first road game. If you can win that, you come back home, you get Arizona and then you Off go after- by. Yeah. And, you know, obviously UCLA and, and, um, uh, WSU both had buys going into this past game. Um, but, I mean, Ben Arbuckle and Cam Ward, that UCLA defense was doing circles around those two. I was at the game live. It was hot. It was probably, you know, feeling like 100 degrees on the field, just boiling in the, in the Rose Bowl. But, I mean, to, to have the game on the line, down eight, fourth quarter, and you need one yard, mind you not, you've called a timeout. So you're coming out of a timeout. And you line up out of freaking shotgun to try and get one yard. It's ridiculous. It was a, it was a fireable fence. Um, obviously that's, you know, I'm, I'm being a little, a little bit too modest there, but
3: no, I agree. Fire him.
1: He's <laughs> done fire. Him. <laughs> no, he'll, he's, he's going to get a bag from some power Four school this off season. So he'll be gone anyways. But, um, yeah. You know, it's it's just unfortunate to me that you know it's like your whole scheme at Wazoo for the past decade they haven't really changed it. Yes, they brought in you know you know a couple tight end tight end looks here, but it's still spread the ball out. Um, and and if you're gonna line up out of shotgun or the gun, at least throw it. I mean, they brought out the Philly special, um, you know, tush push whatever you want to call it, and they scored a touchdown against Oregon state off that why not bring that back out but um yeah it, you know Jaden Delora former um WSU guy um obviously I, I don't know how he still is has a job at quarterback a from um an ethos standpoint as well as a you know gameplay standpoint you know he thought he's gonna lose his job to the to the freshman there but um it was announced that he is going to start so it's going to mm-hmm. be interesting to see um, he has the ability to you know, really be dynamic in the passing game or also be an absolute cancer um, in the passing game. So it's going to be interesting to see how um, WSU takes shape in, into defending Jacob Cowan and, and just an improved team all across the board where Arizona is starting to feel like, okay, hey, we can win these games. Now they haven't really done it yet. Um, so like Jake Dickert said earlier this week, you know, we got our slice of humble pie and it's going to be how are they going to react? Because Oregon is looming and the last thing they need to be thinking about is any sort of game against the Ducks and getting out of Arizona and sticking in the top 20 um, and, and going into Oregon 5-1. and one.
3: Yeah, I, I think when you look at this game, you're going to know how both teams feel in the first quarter if wazoo is still stuck on the ucla loss and to be frank if arizona's still stuck on the usc loss that's a backbreaking loss there for arizona now i do think that they're going to beat someone that they probably shouldn't i don't know if it's wsu i don't know if it's colorado who they have later on i don't know if maybe they sneak up and uh you know beat a utah or an oregon state a ucla someone of that nature right i'd have to go through their schedule but arizona would scare me in the Pac-12 they are just that perfect level of hey they're probably not a bowl team so do we really have to get up for this game right away you know maybe I don't watch as much film this week maybe I take a little bit of a break here I don't need to study up on what their third down blitz tendencies are it's those kind of tricks right there that come up all the time with college football teams where this Arizona team is the perfect team to take advantage of it. I mean, you saw it against USC. USC sleptwalked through two quarters. Now, they have the best college football player in the most important position on the field, and that's why they were able to win that game. Wazoo doesn't have that type of guy. Now, I'm not saying that is going to come out and sleepwalk through this game. I'd be a little bit surprised the way that Dickert coaches this team. I think they come out pissed off and firing. But I also think this Arizona team comes out pissed off and firing because they should have had a big win against USC. Frankly, they could have had a big win against UW. They were in that game the entire way. And really, they shut down that passing attack better than anybody else has this year. So if I'm Wazoo and if I'm Arizona and I'm a big fan, I know right away in that first quarter because you're going to be able to tell it on the body language of the coaches and you're going to be able to certainly tell it on the body language of the players and how inspired they come out and play. If either one of those teams comes out and they're playing uninspired, it's going to be a long game. And I know you guys are both Coog fans and I would hate to leave you without trolling you at least a little bit. But doesn't this make for the perfect cooging it scenario? It's homecoming. It's a later game. It's an Arizona team that probably shouldn't play with you. You had high hopes. Your hopes just got taken away a little bit with the UCLA loss to at least where now you're like, we have to be perfect the rest of the way. Isn't this the perfect coogat scenario?
1: I don't know what that word means. I've never heard it. <laughs> we we That's
0: not, not in our vocabulary.
1: Not in our vocabulary. And <laughs> all the all the Cougs out there that still have that in their vocabulary need to turn their coog card in. Um, <laughs> just, I'll be you real. Can tweet but hit hey, me. Yeah, I'll take all no. the tweets. I'll take all the firestorm. <laughs> Bring it on. Um, <laughs> hey, great thing. It's at home and we have dog walked Arizona for the last decade. So, um, that's kind of how I'll look at it. But, um, you know, Hey, but like fraternal cloud saying right now, Arizona's coming off an emotional three overtime loss mm-hmm. with a freshman quarterback, take the Cougs and the points. I'm a little nervous on the eight. It opened up at nine and a half and it's already gone down to eight. So, um, yeah. Over under money line. If I could, uh, give you a, take the any sort of advice for Eternal Cloud? Just take the money line.
3: <laughs>
0: there we have it. Well, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. Going to be a lot of fun college football to see this weekend. It'll be fun to to recap it on Tuesday. I'll so, thanks, Connor, think, th- thanks, thank you all for watching, for commenting, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Connor.